years ago, the Holy Spirit set apart two men to go out and preach the gospel and to plant churches. They went before their church family and they shared with everyone what God was leading them to do. And then the church affirmed that calling. And in a show of support, leaders from that church came, placed a hand on those two young men and prayed for them. After going through that process, the apostle Paul and Barnabas left their church in Antioch and set sail to plant their first church on the island of Cyprus. Churches like ours still use that process to set apart gospel ministers today. We call it ordination. And any time we do an ordination service, there may, be, there may be different things that different churches do, but there are three things that should always be included, no matter what else is done. One, clear evidence of the Holy Spirit's call to ministry. Two, men who have shown spiritual maturity and who are able to clearly explain God's call in their life. And three, a local church to affirm that calling. These kinds of services for pastors are pretty rare. A lot of Christ followers don't ever, some don't ever get the chance to see one. And that's why we wanted to share this special service with you this morning. Our church family has the privilege of ordaining two men to gospel ministry today, to pastoral ministry. And we are going to set apart and call out Caleb Purvis and Connor Johnson in the same way that the church in Antioch set apart Paul and Barnabas. These young men are going to come before you and they're going to share with you God's call on their life. And then Pastor Paul is going to come and he is going to challenge them. And he's going to challenge our church family. And in closing, leaders from our church, leaders from Mission Hill, will come in representing you. will show our support and our affirmation by praying for them and their wives. Go to the Lord with me in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful privilege of being able to ordain these two men that you have called out to preach the gospel, to serve your church, to be pastors. Lord, we ask that as you do this, your Holy Spirit would move among us clearly demonstrating your call on their lives. And I ask that these, uh, these men and their wives, that they will feel the support of this church family as we affirm uh, the calling on their lives. God, we ask that you would oversee every part of this service and that you would use it to maybe call someone else out today and that it will be a focal point for these men and their families of the clear call that God has placed on their lives. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you don't know me, my name is Caleb Purvis, and uh, I'm going to share a little bit of my story as we go into this time of launching Connor and myself into ministry. It's a little bit strange as we think about, or as I think about uh, my story, and oftentimes uh, when we tell our stories as Christians, we usually think of, of God and ourselves, which, which makes sense. We're two of the key components in that story. Uh, but as I think of my own story, I can't help but think about the community that shaped me in the process. And for good and for bad, we all have a community around us that's shaping us. And oftentimes it gets unthanked. So I just wanna thank everyone in this room who has impacted my life as I've grown up in this church and it means a lot to me. So Connor and myself have very different stories. And, and when I was younger, he has the type of story I'd probably be a, a little bit envious of. It's pretty incredible. But the truth is everyone in this room, if you are a Christ follower, that means you've been brought from death to life. That Jesus has rescued you. And I know for myself, even growing up in a Christian home, that's something worth celebrating. As I think about my story, there's really three phases of how my faith went from a more distant place to reality. The first moment was a moment of salvation. I remember at the age of eight is when I initially made that decision to follow Christ. And growing up in a Christian home, in a pastor's home nonetheless, I grew up hearing a lot about church. I grew up hearing a lot about God and about the characters in the Bible. But I remember it wasn't until around that age of eight that became a God became different to me than Santa Claus, different than a, a superhero that I watch on TV. And, and the reason that it finally became real to me, it became a reality to me is because I felt my own brokenness. As much as someone can at a young age, I felt that I was broken. I was incomplete. So I remember as a little kid uh, sitting in children's church and raising my hand saying I had questions about what it means to accept Jesus into my heart. And afterwards I had a conversation with my dad. I think he drew some pictures and explained that it's Jesus who bridges that gap that covers our sin and forgiveness and grace and it's Jesus who can make us complete. And so that's when I accepted Jesus into my life, became a Christ follower. The second stage I wanna talk about is when I moved from a distant place in my personal life. See, I understood that God had dealt with my eternity, but I hadn't allowed that to affect my everyday. And it wasn't until one of the hardest times in my life when my mom went through cancer. And uh, when you face a crisis like that in your life, you like to imagine as a Christian, you're gonna be strong, you're gonna be faithful. But in the moment I was anything but strong. I didn't feel joy, I didn't feel happiness. I was scared. And I remember seeing my mom full of strength and joy and hope 
how in the midst of her body literally dying, she was full of life. And seeing that showed me that God doesn't just change our eternity, but this Jesus that I grew up hearing about changes your everyday life. He brings you joy today. He brings you hope today. And that was a pivotal moment in my faith journey. The last moment I want to talk about was when I initially felt this calling in my life to go into ministry. Truthfully, because my dad's a pastor, it's probably the last thing I thought I wanted to do. And it was through the process of adopting my sister that I initially felt that strong call. And I won't go too far into the story for the sake of time, but she came from just a very broken family, a very broken situation. And it was through the church, through a family in the church connecting us and through the kingdom of God, acting like the kingdom of God, that we were able to be a light to this girl. And seeing how the family of Christ can impact a little girl's life kind of gave me a bug for ministry. And so I was blessed in high school to get involved at the Six Mile Campus to serve uh, people who are experiencing homelessness and just minister the gospel in different ways. And I'm so thankful for those opportunities. And these last couple of years, I've been able to further that in my education. I'm currently serving at a church in West Palm. And uh, for those of you who may be watching online, probably not, because you should be at church there. Thank you for giving me the day off and allowing me to have this special moment. Um, your guys' impact on my life, I'm so thankful for. So if you, if you grew up like me in a place where the Christian themes and ideas were pretty normal in your life, I'd encourage you to make that a reality, to allow it to change your eternity, to allow it to impact your everyday life, and to be a part of the kingdom of God in this community. Thank you so much. Just right, just right where you're seated, let's just sing this song together. I think this is a, a, a true story and a true theme for both these men together. Let's sing this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to voice. 
Well, good morning, Mission Hill Church. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm so honored to be here this morning. It's so great to see so many of you here. And uh, it was a blessing in my life this past week as I got together up on the second floor of our building here with uh, brothers in Christ that I serve in ministry with and just have an opportunity once again to share with them my story. And in the days since that time, I've had an opportunity to reflect on what I shared and what happened in that room. And as I've had that time to think, I've just been struck by the grace of God that's worked in my life over the last 10 years. And it was a grace that met me at a night that I didn't expect or could never have dreamed of in a Mazda 3 hatchback in a parking lot of an apartment complex in North St. Louis. And as I pulled into that parking lot that night and as two men got into my car, I could never have imagined that a couple moments later, a gun would be pressed up against my head. And in just a moment after that, those men would lean back and pull the trigger and leave me to die in my car. By God's grace, I woke up that night and made it to the hospital. And over the next six weeks, I began to just process, how did I get here? And what just happened? And, and how did those decisions that I had made in my life up to that point get me into this, this bed where I can't move and I can't walk and I can't do all the things that I once did? But as I got out of that hospital, I began reluctantly to attend church. And in that season, God's grace continued to manifest itself to me as he began to bring men, people and and women, just like you in a local church alongside me and began to pour into my life. And a couple months after that, that point, the grace of Jesus, the gospel, the reality that God himself had come into the flesh to the world and a human being and walked among us and lived a perfect life and preached and teached and healed and then went to the cross to die to absorb God's righteous wrath against sin upon himself and died and laid in the ground for three days. But three days later, conquering sin and death and then rising from the dead and then allowing us to come into the family of God by repenting of our sin and believing in him. In that moment, when that grace became so alive to me in my life, God got a hold of my heart and he got a hold of my mind and it seemed that in that season, all I wanted to do was study the word of God. All I wanted to do was get plugged in at church. And the conviction that the Bible was the word of God became so deep in my life that what I wanted to do was to share it. What I wanted to do is preach and teach it. And what I wanted to do was live in accordance with what it said. And so in that season, God began to give me a conviction that he was calling me into ministry. And to be honest with you, I didn't know what that meant. That scared me. That fought, I fought against the call for a long time. But over the last 10 years, what I've seen is God's grace bringing me back over and over and over again to the place that this is what he's calling me to do. And even though there's been seasons of wandering, even though I've tried to walk away from this call, God's brought me back over and over and over again that this is what he wants me to do with my life. 
And so the last grace that I wanna share with you tonight is this, that six years ago, God gave me the confidence to move from my family and everything that I had ever known in St. Louis and move down here to Tampa, Florida. And by the grace of God, three years ago, he brought me to this church, Mission Hill. And in this season, as I've done different things, as I've walked alongside many of you, as he's placed me in an area of ministry that I never thought I would serve, but to see his hand of blessing and provision, even in that, I can tell you that God's used you to bring me here in this moment, to confirm my call, and to just make me excited for what God's gonna do in the future. So I'm up here to say thank you. Thank you for how God's used you in my life. And I'm thankful that the grace of God has brought me here and that you can affirm this call in my life today. So thank you all. I love you. I can't wait to worship God with you more this morning. Would you give God praise for what he's doing? One more time. Let's just take a handheld. Thank you. Would you give God praise for what he's doing in our midst? Give me just a moment. This is a special time. And I'm grateful to be able to celebrate this with you. This is a unique season as we celebrate the birth of Christ. It hit me as I was gathering with Caleb and Connor to pray that it was this season 28 years ago when Kimberly and I came home from seminary and I was ordained by my home church. And so when we got up from praying, I asked Caleb and Connor, I said, walk in here in my office. I want to check something. And sure enough, it was December 26th, 28 years ago today that uh, I was ordained into the gospel ministry. So, guys, I want you to know you're not the first to do this, number one. Caleb, I have here your Papa's ordination Bible. Uh, remembering that moment many years ago when he was ordained into the ministry. This is my ordination Bible. I had to look closely because my name has worn off of this one. But when I was ordained 28 years ago, you guys stand in a line of a lot of folks, as Pastor Nick said, who have surrendered to the call of God on their lives. So I want you to do something. I want you to take a deep breath and savor this moment because this is special. Uh, Caleb, this is special because you're living out an answer to your mother and my prayer for your life. Not that you would be called to ministry, but that you would walk in that call for which God created you. And that is abundantly clear that that's what you're doing. Connor, it's a special day for you. I'm, I'm so proud of you and I've had the opportunity these last few years to watch you grow and to know your journey and to, to see how God gave you that experience of being drawn by his grace into his presence. In this moment now, literally on the eve of your expecting your second child, 
What a, what a special time. I'm encouraged to see what God's doing in your life. There's so much that could be said in this moment. We could just give what is probably the most familiar scriptural admonition during an ordination process. It comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. It actually says in some translations, this is a good thing. And then it goes on to list what we've read with both of you in your individual ordination councils, this list of qualifications that as we read them, we know there's no way I will always live up to these 24-7 because it begins with one that says, be blameless. And we begin to recognize that, wow, man, we're held to a higher standard and, and yet we never qualified for this. This is something that God qualifies us for, that we must then pursue him and holiness on a regular basis. I could give you that scriptural admonition. I could also just give you some practical wisdom that pastors like me have been told throughout our ministries. We've been challenged to watch out for three areas in our ministry, for our money, our morals, and our message. So you could say, steward your money wisely. That would be a smart thing to do. I could say, protect your marriage at all cost. Because if you don't have a marriage, you don't have a ministry. And then guard the message with which you've been entrusted. The truth of God's word. I could just give you a basic principle, maybe one of the most important things. I could say, guys... Be yourself. You do have two different stories, but embrace your journey. I'm confident of this. There's never going to be a day when you stand before God and he says, Caleb, why weren't you more like your dad? Or Connor, why weren't you more like Matt Chandler? Or John Piper? Or Tim Keller? But if we, if we don't embrace that journey God's given us, we may have to stand account for wh why we were not the men he created us to be. So much I could say. But I really want to talk to you about where God had led me before we ever put this date on the calendar. And that is to the book of Colossians in the series that we've been journeying through in our church that we've called For Jesus. And I think that's so significant because while you are here, the truth is there are a lot of folks that have joined us. So I, I want to speak to you, but I, I want to speak in such a way from the Word of God that He might speak to each of us. And so I want to pray once more before we get into Colossians chapter 4. Would you pray with me? So Father, in the name of Jesus, we come with gratitude in our hearts we thank you again for the opportunity to celebrate your birth. Lord Jesus, that you came to this earth, the creator coming to become a part of creation so that you might justify us, so that you might save us, so that you might sanctify us, so that one day we might be made right with you and back with you in completeness and we might be glorified. Thank you, Jesus, for all that this season means. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather today as a church. Because we know, as your word says, that when we gather, we are encouraged one another to do well. 
Lord, we thank you for these two young men and we thank you for their wives and Lord, the families that you're going to allow them to grow up as a part of what you're calling them to do. We thank you for their heritage and what you've allowed them to experience to bring them to this place. But Lord, our prayer really for them is the same prayer we have for each of us right now. Would you teach us in this moment, giving us those things we need that we don't have Lord, alerting us to those things that we need to know that we've not yet learned. And transforming us, Jesus, so that we might be more like your image. I thank you for this, Lord. I pray that the words I say and even my thoughts would be pleasing to you. For you're my strength, my redeemer. And so, by the way, Holy Spirit, draw someone in this place someone joining us online, draw them to you today so that you might be their redeemer. Save someone in the name of Jesus. Amen. The key verse today is Colossians chapter 4. Colossians 4.18, Paul ends this letter to this church he had never visited personally at this point. And he says, I write this greeting with my own hand, Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Why would he say, remember my chains? Paul talks about his chains in some of his other writings, but he never ends another letter this way. Those of you that have been journeying with us know that Paul would have been in jail. Now, my friend Jason brought me uh, some foot cuffs and some handcuffs. And I contemplated, because I also have the key, I contemplated preaching from these because I know that Paul wrote this letter from the chains. But then I thought better. So I'm not going to do that. But Paul wrote this literally from a Roman prison. As he wrote these words, it's likely the chains would have come across the script that he was writing. He wrote these with a very specific purpose. Why? You could think he was writing to say, pray for me. Things aren't going too great right now. I don't think that was his focus though. I think Paul was reminding the church at Colossae of the very thing that he had repeated again and again and again and again and again and again throughout all of this letter. You remember the theme? Here it is. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Let's say that together. Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Here's what I think Paul was saying. Remember my chains. Because even in the midst of the chains... The God I serve, my Jesus, he's supreme and he's sufficient. Whether you're called to ministry or whether you're living daily life, you will face difficulty. But know this, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Whatever you do in life, you will go through disappointment. But know this, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. There's no question in my mind, in your faith journey, 
and in your call, there are going to be moments when you're tempted to be disillusioned. Is this right? Is this real? Is this worth it? But in those moments, remember, Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. Paul was addressing two issues in this particular church, issues that we face today. Uh, the first issue was, is Jesus really who he, is, he says he is? You may know he was dealing with a problem called Gnosticism. People believed Jesus was good. He just wasn't God. So is Jesus really who he says he is? The rest of your lives, young men, you're going to be answering that question. You're going to be answering that through the scriptures. You're going to be answering that through your lives. You're going to be answering that in how you minister to people. Is Jesus really who he says he is? But the second thing he was dealing with, is this mystery too great for me? Because some of the people thought this was just for a club. They couldn't get in on it. And you're going to have to communicate that throughout your ministry. And some of you are wrestling that. Can I get in on this Jesus thing? Is, is this something that I can experience and that I can embody in my life? And again and again, Paul says, Jesus is supreme. Yes, he's God. And he is sufficient. He's everything that you need. And here in chapter 4, at the end, he gives some final instructions. And in fact, in my Bible, it literally has that heading. It says, final instructions. So, um, you two men, I plan on seeing you a lot. Connor, you work here, so... I plan on seeing you uh, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. No, just kidding. We're off next week. And, and Caleb, uh, you're my son, so I plan on seeing you the rest of my life. But these, I, I think, as you launch into ministry today, as our church comes alongside affirming this call in your life, here's some final instructions. Listen to how he begins in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. I'm going to give you four simple truths. The first one is very straightforward. Number one, pray for gospel opportunities. Now, that sounds like an oversimplification. But man, that's what you've got to be doing from this day forward. Pray for gospel opportunities. Look again at verse 3. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. I want to remind you, as you begin your ministry, there's going to be nothing more important than the time that you spend in prayer. Because according to Jesus, some things come only through prayer. There's nothing more important than the time you spend in prayer. Because according to Jesus, some things come only through prayers. Live in such a way that your life and your ministry for Jesus would be helpless were it not for prayer. Attempt those things that you know could never be done were it not for prayers. Your prayers... And then make sure you've got praying people around you. Why? Because that's the way God opens doors. 
And Paul talked about these open doors repeatedly in his writings. In Acts 14, it says they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith. In 1 Corinthians 16, he says when he's going to stay in Ephesus to Pentecost for a wide open door for effective work. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me. Always be bold enough to pray for things that will only be accomplished if God opens the door. I'm going to say that again. Be bold enough in your prayer life to pray for those things that will only be accomplished if God opens the door. I recently heard the story of Duncan Campbell. God used him greatly in one of the modern awakenings in our world. There have been several awakenings, the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. We here in our country hear about the Haystack Revival and the Jesus Movement. Many of the great preachers that are preaching around the country today, now in their late 60s and 70s, came to Christ in that Jesus Movement in the late 60s and early 70s of the 1900s. But in the 1950s, there was another revival called the Hebrides Revival in Scotland and Duncan Campbell was a part of that in the 1950s and 1960s he says that on the Monday after Easter in 1952 he was on a platform speaking to the Faith Mission Convention in Bangor Northern Ireland when he sensed an inner voice saying to him burn array burn array he bowed his head and he prayed silently. And again, the name came to him, Burner Ray. Burner Ray. Um, so he turned to the person seated next to him, the chairman of the revival that had called him there to speak. And he said, sir, you're going to have to excuse me. But I believe the Holy Spirit of God is telling me to go to Burner Ray. <laughs> and the chairman was kind, but he mildly objected. And he said, um, you're the speaker. You're the next person up. But nothing could stop him. The Spirit had spoken. So as he told this story that Wesley Dewell records, he said, I'd never been to Burner Ray, and I'd never known anyone from there, and I'd never received a letter from anyone there. But he went to the hotel, he packed his suitcases, and he contacted the airport, only to find out that that little island was so small, there were no flights to Burner Ray. So... He went down to the coast and he asked how he could get to Burner Ray. And the answer came from fishermen. They said they would take him. Wouldn't be the most comfortable, but they could get him there. So they did. They took him to that little island, the Scottish Isle of Burner Ray. And then they dropped him off. When he got on the coast, he saw a farmer up on the hill. So he climbed the hill and he went to the farmer. He saw him there and he said, Please go to the nearest pastor and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. The farmer responded, there is no pastor here. We don't have a pastor. He said, do you have elders? And he said, yes. He said, well, go find the nearest elder and tell him that Duncan Campbell has arrived. The farmer looked at him quizzically, and then he started off across the field as Campbell rested on his suitcases. In a little while, the farmer returned, and he said, the elder was expecting you. He has a place ready for you. 
and he he's already announced that the meetings will begin at nine o'clock tonight when Campbell had been ministering in the convention in Bangor three days earlier this elder had spent the day praying praying in his barn for God to send revival to his island and God gave him the promise of Hosea 14 I will be as the dew unto Israel and he claimed it in faith his wife in the house heard him praying in the barn Lord I don't know where he is I don't know who he is but you know and with all things possible you can send him to the island in his heart he knew that God was going to send this evangelist he had heard about Duncan Campbell who had been used mightily in other parts of Scotland he was so sure he'd be there in three days that he made all the arrangements to use the local church and he had already announced the meetings and great revival came to that island of Burn Ray. And it came a part of that revival that we now refer to as the Hebrides revival. I want you to understand God answers our prayers. Do you hear that? God answers our prayers. So pray for open doors. Pray like the elder of Burn Ray. Pray that God will do what you're asking him to do. But there's more to Paul's prayer. He says, pray that I make it clear that way that I should speak. He's saying pray for open doors and then pray for personal clarity. And I know you both well enough and I know a lot of you well enough to know that's where the rubber hits the road in our journey. It's not that we don't believe the basics and we understand some of the facts, but God, we need clarity. We need that guidance that comes from him. In other words, Paul was saying, pray that you would make the most, that I would make the most of the opportunities and the doors that you give me. Now think about that. I believe, apart from Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul is the greatest preacher to have ever walked the earth. And yet he's saying to these Christ followers that he really doesn't even know personally, he's saying, hey, when you think about me, pray for me that I'll know what I should say, that I'll have clarity. If he needed it, then so do we. He understood something, guys. Ultimately, his effectiveness in ministry in the gospel was not going to be on his based on his education. It wasn't going to be based on his experience. It wasn't going to be based on his natural gifting. It wasn't going to be based on how he honed his craft. It was going to be based on the power of God working in and through him in response to the prayers of other people. I would encourage you to learn to pray Psalms 19:14 every time you proclaim God's word. You heard me pray it just a moment ago. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer. When you do that, this is what you're praying. God, you open the doors, and then when you open my mouth, fill them with your word. And that's what it is. It's his word. Don't, don't ever forget that. This is his word. Now, he's made us creative and use whatever creativity you can. But we don't have to write the script. He tells us the story. Just share his word. You're beginning ministry in a culture where there's almost illiteracy to his word. Don't assume you have to improve upon it. 
It's an open door for his word. You've got to proclaim the word. Now, that means something. That means you have to possess the word. You can't proclaim that which you do not possess. So though it sounds cliche, I would remind you of one of my favorite sayings. Get in the word and then let the word get into you. That means before you can have a public, public time in the word, you're, you're going to have to have had some private time in the word. You, you'll never be more publicly than what you've accomplished privately. And that's a good place to remember something else that was poured into me probably about 20 years ago. If you handle the depth of your ministry, God will handle the breadth of your ministry. And that's true for all of us. If we get into God's word, if we let him form us and make us, then you can stop trying to position yourself and platform yourself so that others will see you or, or so that you'll be successful. That's not the formula. That's not the way it works. It's not the way he does it. One more thing about prayer. And by the way, this is by far the longest of the four points. Look at verse 2. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He's saying pray consistently. And this is something Paul says repeatedly, because in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, pray without ceasing. Live in such a way that prayer is an attitude of your life, not something you do just at moments in your life. Be constant. And then he says, pray with expectation. Assume God is going to answer your prayer. Don't do kind of the, the thing and it wasn't other people, but somehow in my life, I kind of grew up feeling like I always had to give God an escape clause or an excuse. God, if, if you will, or if this is what you want, no, pray with expectation. As you're in God's word, you're already going to be praying consistently around the things that he wants. And guys, that's what we all need to be doing. Why in the world would we pray to a God that we don't expect to hear and answer? He's going to answer according to his plan. So pray and watch and then wait for him to do something great. And then pray with an attitude of gratitude. I, I like to say this simple phrase, thank you in advance for what you're going to do as you answer this prayer. Thank him for your salvation. Thank him regularly that he would use us. Because as godly as you young men are, you know that you and he know some things no one else knows about you. So pray for gospel opportunities. That's a pretty big deal. And guys, we're closing out a year. And you've got as much of the future as he's going to give you in front of us. We don't know how long that is, right? Pray for gospel opportunities. Secondly, make the most of the time. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Well, why is this so important? Well, there are going to be many things competing for your time. <laughs> we talked about this privately. A lot of them are good things. And a lot of those good things come from good people. But sometimes those good things are going to keep you from the best things. And sometimes those good things are keeping you from the best things. 
So how do you make the most of your time? He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. God's opening doors because he wants to open hearts. If you are a Christ follower, God's design was not that you just got into a club and now you're part of the secret society. That's what Paul was directly condemning. He was explaining that that's not the case. No, if, if you're an insider now, he wants your focus to be on those who aren't here yet. And in ministry, that's got to be what guides you. Him and them, those who aren't here yet. He's calling you and he's using you because the task is urgent, but the task is unfinished. And he set you aside by divine call. It's not a career path. I think I've said it to both of you. I know I've said it to you, Caleb. If there were anything else you could do and be happy, go do it. But if this is a call of God, he's calling you to make the most of the moments for the gospel. Ask God to help you keep that focus. At the conclusion, you're going to see as Paul wraps up this letter, everything he's saying is about others. And we fight that. And the church fights that. And we fight that because our natural tendency is to take care of us. We want what makes us comfortable. We want the music we like. We, we want the chairs we want to sit in. We like the paint color, the color we would choose. And the church and our culture has gotten so focused on taking care of us that we often don't see those he's called us to reach. We have to be intentional about that outsider mentality. How do you do that? Well, Paul says you've got to ask God to keep you seasoned. So yesterday at about 7 p.m., we had our Christmas dinner. And 90% of the Christmas dinner was delight, delectable. What's that word? Delicious, I'll just say. Dishes prepared for, by my bride. But. Each year there's one dish I prepare. As my daughter would say, it's daddy's famous prime rib. I actually prepared it three times in the last week because we served it at two other events. And, and someone asked me at one of those events, what's the secret? And I said, the secret's the seasoning. You got to take the meat out for several hours out of the cold and let it sit. And then you got to season it and marinate it for several hours and let it sit. And they said, what's the seasoning? And I said, that's the secret. <laughs> well, this is not a secret, but Paul's saying there's a seasoning. And the seasoning for you is a balance between not too sweet and not too spicy. <laughs> and you could be too sweet and that seasoning just be focused on God's grace, which is amazing. And if that becomes your focus, your danger is you're going to drift into liberalism. And same thing in your journey spiritually. But your, your seasoning can be too spicy and just focus on God's truth. But the danger on that, if you're not careful, you're going to drift into legalism. And, and that's true for us too. And so he says, Lord, keep me seasoned. Help me to steward my life. Pray for gospel opportunities. Make the most of your time. And then I love this. Most of this chapter is around this third point. 
And here's what I'd say to you two guys. Surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. You need that. Man, I'm not going to read all of them, but just look through these next few verses. He, he mentions all kind of people. He starts by talking about Tychicus, and then he talks about Onesimus, and, and then he talks about Aristarchus, and then he reminds us of Mark and Barnabas, and, and then he goes down and he, he continues to talk about Epaphras, and he, he goes on and talks about some of his friends in Laodicea and, and Luke. We know Dr. Luke, and, and he goes on and talks about Archippus, just bunches of people that he talks about that he used to do ministry. And here's the facts. God God will put people around you to help accomplish his purposes in your life. So see the people that God puts around you. From God's perspective, you're never in this alone. Even when you feel like you're in chains, you're never in this alone. See the people. Almost 30 years for me, this is one of the toughest things. Here's why. All the people around us are just like us. <laughs> They're sinners. You're sinners. We're sinners. And so we get hurt. One of my heroes was Dr. Adrian Rogers, who pastored Bellevue Baptist in Memphis. And someone at the very end of his ministry said, what's the toughest, toughest thing in ministry? And he said, oh, that's, that's easy. He said, you spend your life investing in others and you're there when their babies are born and you're there when their parents die and, and you're there when their kids graduate and are married and then something silly happens and they get mad and they leave the church and they talk bad about you. And he says, and then you've got to remember that you don't keep your eyes on people, you keep your eyes on Jesus. So we're tempted to... to to not see the people because of that. But I'm just telling you, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. See the people around you and surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. Just this week, I can go back for about 25 years and tell you people I've talked to in the last seven days that have influenced my life. People like Jerry Kirkpatrick that was there when you were born. A man the age of my parents who speaks into my life. People like Dan Botts, DJ's dad, that we can talk every week after 20 years and laugh and share stories. People like Ms. Netta Sutton and Betty Kennedy, godly ladies that are still investing in you and in our ministry in this church, though they live in Missouri and Mississippi. People like one of my new best friends, Alan, Who's another pastor. People like David Twitty here are part of this church. People that I'm vulnerable with. And they know my story and my junk. And they love me. Surround yourself with those kind of people. We need each other. We're better together. And by the way, ask God to give you a short memory of offense. Because you will get hurt. But you'll hurt other people too. So don't hold on to it. Oh, forgot you were there. Ask God to give you a short memory of offense. Because you will get hurt. And you will hurt other people. So don't hold on to it. I asked God to give me a short memory of offense. 
And he gave me more than I asked for. He just gave me a short memory. <laughs> Pray for gospel opportunities. Make the most of the time. Surround yourself with people that love Jesus and people that love you. And finally, trust Jesus. Trust Jesus, whatever your circumstances, wherever you are. I write this with my own hand. Remember my chains. You guys both know, they may not. Paul normally had a scribe. Most of the letters he dictated, we believe, as inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and someone would write down his words. But what he's saying is, even though I'm chained, I'm going to pick up my chained hand, and I'm writing this because I want you to understand something. Whatever the circumstance, remember my chains. No matter how hard it gets, remember my chains. This is going to be challenging in some moments. The journey always is, but remember the chains. And for you two, ministry is not a job. It's not a gig. It's not a profession. It's a divine calling that places you on the front lines of battle and spiritual war. Remember the chains. Sounds cliche, but it's true. If God's called you to it, he will see you through it. He does not call the equipped. He equips the cause. Whatever you put before you, he'll give you strength to do. So trust him. He's supreme. And he's sufficient. Just stay in the fight. It's what both of you have read Eugene Peterson. It's what Eugene Peterson would call the long obedience in the same direction. It's what's described by the Apostle Paul in what became my life verse several years back in the latter half of my life. I do not account my life as of any value, nor is it precious to myself. If only I might finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Praying for gospel opportunities. Making the most of my time. Surrounding myself with people that love me and love Jesus and trusting Jesus no matter what. Remembering <laughs> the chains. <laughs> You know what he didn't say? The best is yet to come. <laughs> it is ultimately, right? And if you say that and you're talking about heaven, it is. But if you're talking about this side of heaven, I can't guarantee that. It may be chains. Or it may be like our brothers and sisters in the faith today that will die because they testified Christ. Daily, more people are dying because of their faith in Christ than ever before. And I think when he said, remember my chains, part of what he was saying is be willing to do whatever, to go whatever, to be whatever God wants you to be for his glory. January 9th, 1985, a pastor in Bulgaria named Christo Kulishev was arrested and put in jail. 
His crime was preaching in his church. Some would look at that as the end of his ministry. And yet immediately he began to share about Christ in prison. He had a trial. It was a mockery of justice. And he was sentenced to eight more months. And he did those eight months and he got out and then he wrote these words. Both prisoners and jailers ask many questions. And we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have ever expected in a church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we had been free. Today, people are imprisoned and people die because they believe with their all that Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient. That's what you got to hold on to. And that's what you've got to hold on to. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? This is a little different time in the Word than we typically have on a Sunday morning. And as we've told you, we want you to see that God is still calling out people because God is calling some of you. Do you know this church stops at 10.02 every weekday and we pray, Luke 10.2, that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers. And we pray. I've been praying for about nine years. God, call my children out if that's your will. Send the children and the grandchildren that are growing up in this church. Send adults. Call them. Some of you, God's calling. And you hearing this today has just affirmed that, and you need to respond. But there's somebody here because I prayed for you, and you've not yet begun that relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm asking you today, would you respond to the grace gift that changes everything for you? It begins by you acknowledging that you're a sinner that needs God's salvation. You believe that Jesus, who was born, lived a perfect life, was born to die, that he came to die for your sins, and he did so, and he rose again. You believe that. And then you submit control of your life to him. It's called repentance. You stop going your way, and you trust him. If you've never taken that step, there's, there's no magic prayer, but there can be a special moment right now if God's calling you to take that step. So maybe you would just stop right where you are and pray this prayer. Maybe you'd say, Jesus, just you and him, Jesus, I know I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. I receive your forgiveness. I know you're alive today. I'm ready to follow you. Come into my life and take control. Tell him thank you. because I prayed for you and expected God to answer that prayer. I want to encourage you if, if you just prayed that prayer, maybe one in your own words and began that relationship with Christ. If, if that was you, 
our heads are still bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm not going to come and embarrass you or draw attention to you. In fact, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let me know another way. But really, right now, it's the only thing I'm asking you to do publicly. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer and began that relationship with Christ, would you just raise your hand right where you're seated? Just lift it up high and say, yeah, I began that relationship with Christ today. It's the most important thing a person could ever do. If you did that today, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to God's family. As our heads are still bowed and our eyes are closed, I'm going to ask Caleb and Rebecca to come, and Caleb to kneel and Rebecca to sit here, and Connor and Samantha to come and, and do the same here. And then this morning, we've asked some of our pastors and the chairman of our deacon, a couple of our deacons and, and their wives to come and just spend some time doing what we described earlier in the service. So those that I've asked to come, if you could just come and, and line up here and, and be prepared to do that right now, please, those of you that I've asked to do that. And as we spend this time praying for them and with them, I want to invite you to join us where you are. You may even feel led to just reach out your hands as if you were praying over them and just ask for God's provision, his protection, his direction on their lives. Guys, you kneel right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we submit this time to you. And we just ask you to work it. Yes, just give God the glory for what's happened just now and glorify the name of Jesus. Can we shout hallelujah to his name even right now? Praise him. Amen. 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 I want you to join me in prayer even right now. Everlasting Father, you are such a wonderful God. Full of grace and full of power, full of truth. We bless your holy name, O Lord Jesus Christ, for this man that you have called into ministry. We thank you, Jesus. You have called them even before they came into existence, O God. You knew them by name. You have selected appropriate time, O God, in the course of this life. To call them out, O Lord, among multitude. So, Father, you that have called them, Lord, we pray for right now, Jesus, that you qualify them. That you bless them with everything that they need, oh God, to serve you, to excel in ministry in the name of Jesus. Everlasting Father, King David say, you took my hands and trained me for war. Lord, I'm praying right now, Jesus, that you took their hands and trained them for the gospel of Christ Jesus. Bless them, O oh God, beyond measure. They will stand in your name, O oh Father. They will proclaim the truth of your word, O oh Father. Simon Peter had said, you got the word of eternal life. To whom shall we go? Lord, they will stay with you, Jesus. You will guide their lives, O oh Lord. Moses said, unless your presence will go with us, do not send us from this place. Lord, they will not go where your presence will not be with them. 
You guide them, oh Lord Jesus. Guide their steps, oh Father. Pave the way ahead of them, Lord Jesus. That will listen to your voice every single day and night. They will commune with you in secret, Lord. When they come out, oh Father, you will shine through them. It is a noble task. It is a glorious calling. It is a wonderful thing to serve a God like you. So, Father, in your hands we commend them. Under your protection, oh Lord, we commend them right now. Will you shield them from the attack of the enemy, from the evil one? That they will experience your grace every single day. Your compassion and your love, oh Father. They will be shining star for your glory. An example for many families, many people to follow. So God, we thank you. We thank you so much, oh Father, for what took place right here. But as I look around, oh Lord, I see wonderful people of God. And I know, oh Lord Jesus Christ, as you die for each and every one of us, oh God, everyone has a calling. There's a task, oh God, beyond just sitting down in church years and every Sunday. Lord, may we discover, oh Father, our gifting and our calling, oh God. That we may be, live a fulfilled life, oh God, full of grace, oh God. Our lives, oh Father, will be a blessing to multitude. In this place, on this campus, in our jobs, in our neighborhood, oh God, wherever we find ourselves, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father. We glorify your name, Lord. Be the exalted, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You can be seated just for a moment more. I'm going to ask uh, Connor and Samantha and then Caleb and Rebecca to join me here on the stage at this time. And Kyle, I'm going to ask you to bring these things we're presenting to them. Connor and Samantha. Caleb and Rebecca. So guys, as a pastor of Mission Hill, most of you have heard the process they've gone through. Over the last two weeks, we had two different ordination councils where pastors met with them, both of them for about two hours, and really asked them anything we wanted to <laughs> about the scriptures and about what God was doing in their life. And you've just heard them challenged and charged by the pastor. We've had the laying on of hands by elders in the church. And so uh, we commend to you these two men ordained into the gospel ministry uh, for the service of the Lord. So we're giving them on your behalf um, a certificate of ordination, and then we're presenting them with a Bible that is the greatest resource that they will have, aside from the Holy Spirit, to guide them in the ministry that God has planned for them. So first, Connor and Samantha, congratulations. And Caleb and Rebecca, congratulations. So church family, because this is a little bit of a different day, we've got a little bit of a different opportunity for you. If you're 
interested, if you know these young couples personally and would like to, the atrium's kind of been turned into a reception area while you've been in here. And so there's an opportunity just to go by and say hello to them and congratulate them if you would like to. And so, guys, you can go ahead and make your way there. And uh, Kyle will help guide you that way. Uh, For the rest of you, I just remind you, we're about to end another year. Can you believe God has graced us with another year? Now, for those of you that thought 2020 was wild, I think 21 was wilder. (laughs) So here's the 22. Let's see. Let's see. Well, I hope you find yourself in the house of God next week worshiping. But before then, let me just remind you that as churches tend to do, our church really depends on God's people being faithful at the end of the year. So today and through the next week, anything you give really uh, through next week or through this week helps to go to support our, our ministry causes of this year. And we still have some needs. So whether you do that through the giving boxes when you leave today or whether you go on our app or you make a gift through the website, we encourage you to be faithful in the area of giving. And when we gather back in the new year, I can't wait to tell you how that that giving commitment to our four campaign has already increased since what I announced to you uh, last week. And we've got a good giving total that we'll announce the end of the year giving when we come back and meet in the first of the new year. Thank you so much. Uh, as your pastor, um, not only Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, but, but thank you for experiencing something different today. Here's the facts. These are just two young men and two young ladies that said yes. So I I think we've done this wrong in church a little bit. I would suggest don't assume God's not calling you. Assume he is calling you until he makes it clear that he wants you to do something else. That's probably your safest bet. I love you guys. What a blessing it is to serve this church. Next week, back to two services. Andrew, I know you want to say a few words before we wrap this up.